Hello, everybody. We're here today to talk with Mike McConnell about a crucial topic in cybersecurity, authentication, and the related cybersecurity ideas surrounding it to allow us to do a good job. I'm happy to say that Mike McConnell is one of more than 30 contributors to the upcoming book from Fortinet CISO Phil Quaid. The title of the book is The Digital Big Bang, The Hard Stuff, The Soft Stuff, and the Future of Cybersecurity. The Dig Digital Big Bang book puts forth a big history style explanation of cybersecurity, the kind of narrative you may have seen in Guns, Germs, and Steel or Sapiens, two popular big history books. In the book, Phil Quaid proposes a framework for creating a truly scientific approach to cybersecurity. Phil Quaid's ambition is to find a way to systematically address many of the problems that have risen up because cybersecurity was not properly incorporated into the design of the internet. Mike McConnell is former director of national intelligence, former head of the NSA, and an expert in cybersecurity, especially in getting uh, governments and nations to do a better job. Uh, today we're going to talk about what he can teach cybersecurity professionals about authentication and related topics uh, to help us improve our game. My name is Dan Woods, uh, technology analyst and founder of EarlyAdopter.com, a research publication that focuses on high-value use cases and how to create multi-product platforms to implement them. My team and I played the role of editor for Phil Quaid's book, which came out in preview at Fortinet's Accelerate Conference in April 2019 and should be published by John Wiley by August. So I'm super happy to have you here with me, Mike. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Now, your journey to cybersecurity began when you were director of the NSA and the Internet changed the landscape. Um, you explain in your contribution how you were focused at that point on what the NSA was all about, which was intercepting you know, radio signals uh, to uh, get foreign intelligence or to get intelligence on foreign entities. How did your attention move from intercepting radio transmissions to capturing data at rest and creating code to protect critical infrastructure? Oh, NSA, the National Security Agency, um, has two basic missions. Break code, read the other guy's mail. Make code, keep the other guy from reading our mail. So that's, that's its history. Uh, if you go back to World War II, uh, in collaboration with the British, we're breaking Nazi Germany codes, uh, U.S. breaking Japanese codes. Historians say that it shortened the war by as much as two years, say 10, 12 million lives. So code breaking is kind of important. Well, when the World War II was over, we had a Cold War. Now we had to sustain the intelligence apparatus. Historically, we build it, tear it down, build it, tear it down. But after the Cold War, or after the World War II, we had the Cold War, therefore we had to sustain it, or decided to sustain it. And so NSA, there was an experiment with a joint command that didn't work, and the uh, commission recommended the president to establish the National Security Agency was established. Code breaking, primary focus. And somebody said, wait a minute, we're vulnerable too. Who should be doing the code making to make sure that the, the Soviet Union can't I exploit our communications? And the NSA was given the second mission of code making. Now, if you think about this period, early 50s, uh, nuclear weapons, uh, mutually assured destruction, who has control of nucle nuclear weapons, the president, what is the single most important thing that would happen given we reached a brink of nuclear warfare is to authenticate that it's really the president giving the order. Well, you know, let me stop you right there and let's go take a step back and look at that bigger framework that you you actually started using that begins with authentication. Right. You said that 
Um, the more you focused on creating code, which was, and when we think of code, we can think of not only cryptography, but we can also think of software code as well. It is done in software as yeah. well as in hardware. Right. It, it, basically, it's math. Yeah, it's all the mechanisms right. that you would use to protect things. Right whether it's software or whether it's with the math. But you, you said once you started thinking about this, you inquired as to, to people who knew about cybersecurity at the time, and they said that the backbone of cybersecurity are five things, authentication, data integrity, non-repudiation, availability, and confidentiality. Those are five basic building blocks. Now, you realized that authentication was the most critical. You know, why is that? Well, uh, where I was going with my story is what I realized as the new director of the National Security Agency, relatively young, <laughs> been an intelligence officer all my, all my life, focusing on foreign intelligence, and all of a sudden I'm the new, uh, the new director of the National Security Agency, Cold War's over, Internet's about to explode, we're thinking about our future, and... and what of, year was this? 1992. And one of the more senior advisors came in and said, um, Mr. Director, do you realize that you're responsible for the integrity of the nuclear command and control system in the United States? I said, I beg your pardon? He said, you're responsible for the integrity of the nuclear command and control system. And I said, well, my goodness, I, I didn't understand that. Maybe I should understand it better. And then the, the senior member walked me through the basic building blocks. What he, what he was describing was, uh, during the height of the Cold War, on the uh, uh, mutually assured destruction as our policy. The one person that could order a strike was the president. The most important thing for the executors of the order to know is it's really the president. Authentication. And you achieve that with mathematics, with cryptography, and so on. And, and so he went on through the, the building blocks. Uh, the second most important thing was data integrity. If you move the digit, you hit the wrong city or the wrong country. Uh, so pretty important. Mathematics, again, we're, we're seeking mathematical certainty. Uh, the third part was non-repudiation. Given it was a false alarm and the president said, well, that wasn't me that sent that. <laughs> well, you get mathematical certainty that tracks it back to him. Uh, availability, it means it works the same way for infinity and then confidentiality, uh, meaning do you want it protected from some um, outside exploitation. But confidentiality, I, th I went into the discussion thinking confidentiality was the most important thing. It turned out in that scenario, it's the least important thing. I know. That was one of the most surprising things about your chapter, how you said that they might even purposely send such an order in clear text. To make go as back a, down. As a warning. Exactly right. So if you think about banking, um, all the rules apply. Uh, a $100 million going from A to B. Authentication, you want to make sure both parties are who they represent themselves to be. Uh, data integrity, you don't want it to be a, a, a billion instead of $100 million by moving a digit, uh, non-repudiation, neither side can say it wasn't me, and then availability at works and then confidentiality may, may or may not be a desired feature. Uh, you might want to apply it, you might not. Most people start with security thinking the confidentiality part. I'm just arguing the front end of the assurance of the communication is, is even more uh, important. As, as the new director in the early 90s, and we're sort of searching for our future, the Internet explodes, and then our whole thinking, our paradigm for how we do foreign intelligence had to shift. And so that, that was when I was grappling with those issues is when I realized all of a sudden we, the United States, if that, at that point in time, 90% of all email traffic in the globe, on the globe, passed through the United States. And it, it, that gives you an opportunity from an exploit 
potential NSA foreign targets, but it also makes you realize the United States is the most uh, digitally dependent uh, nation on earth. Therefore, we we have more vulnerability than anyone else. Well, you know that that some of the books I've read about cybersecurity, you know, explain how the least vulnerable country in the world is North Korea. Probably, yeah. You know, because they There's have zero no infrastructure. <laughs> right. But then your contribution also explains that um, after you started thinking about this, you realized that a huge amount, 90 to 95 percent of all of the infrastructure that mattered, all of the things that needed to be protected, private were in private hands. Mm-hmm. And then you then started trying to think of how uh, you could convince both the government and the private sector to do a better job. And mm-hmm. this is, as, has, approved, has appeared to be an uphill battle. And uh, absolutely uphill battle. First of all, let me say something about 90 to 95 percent. Uh, I don't know. I made it up. But it's, ha- it's amazing to me how an idea who's suggested by someone in a public speech, well, all of a sudden everybody must be true. Right, just <laughs> and, accepts it, right? Over and over. Now, I've gone back to verify, and it is around you know, 85, 90 percent. But the point is it's a high number. Uh, owned and operated by the private sector, um, independent of the government and the government's influence. Uh, except in some uh, potential regulator- regulatory areas. So if you go back to my time, military Cold War, the, the U.S. government owned and operated a global communication system. And the decision was made in the 80s um, for cost reasons to get rid of it and use the commercial system. So all of a sudden... That was a big boost to the IP-based technology. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. And uh, remember, the, the Defense Advanced Project Research Agency, or Advanced Project Research Agency in its day, created the Internet. The idea was collaboration among scientists that could coordinate ideas and so on. And also, the uh, auxiliary, uh, our ancillary idea, was assured communications, that you would go the path of lethal resistance uh, for potential natural disaster, nuclear war, whatever. So all of that was in was bubbling, and I'm the new director, and I'm trying to sort out the future. How do you do signals intelligence? Uh, how do you make code? And, the, and the, my mentor, who came in with the five basic principles, was adamant about one thing: no code and software. I said, "Excuse me." He said, "You cannot have trust and confidence if code is put in software." I said, well, "Why is that?" He said, "Well, because it be reverse engineered or changed. It has to be in hardware." Today, almost all code is in it's software. software right? Not cause it just shows you how we get locked in. Sort of an old school mentality. Indeed, indeed. well, it has to evolve. The um, the battlefield now of cybersecurity in your contribution, which is which is a fascinating, another fascinating idea, it's, it is is defined by four dimensions of communication. Uh, you know, you, you you mentioned to communicate, to exploit access to the communication, to defend the communications, and then to dis- create or destroy. The communications. You also point out, and I want to talk about this after you mention this, that there are really strong disagreements among the world leading powers about how to oh, use indeed. all this technology. Indeed. So, could you describe a little bit of the battlefield in, in terms of those four dimensions, and then we'll talk about the, the sure, clash sure. of interests? Well, the, the, although some animals communicate at some level, the significance of human beings is we communicate at, a, at an uh, extensive level and we can think abstractly about those ideas, capture them. And so communication is, is, is almost inherently the human quality that makes us different. And so we could communicate by uh, having a discussion. Uh, we can write something down. We can take a walk in the garden for privacy. And there's all sorts of ways to think about communication. And along the way, we 
learned to communicate over great distances with wireless. Uh, we learned to communicate on wire. Uh, so the, the essence of the human activity is to communicate. Well, as soon as uh, humans can communicate and some other party had a reason to be interested in those communications, whether it was the ear at the door or tapping a, a line or intercepting the information, was to exploit that communication. Then change it. You just exploit it, meaning you capture it and you understand what it says to understand what it means to you based on the communications of some uh, two other parties. And think about that in terms of intelligence. If, if the Russian military is talking to, uh, their one district's talking to another district about mobilization or whatever, that may be a very high interest topic for the National Security Agency, so that would exploit that. Didn't change it, didn't interfere with it, just exploit it. Uh, the third piece was defense. We didn't want them to have the ability to, to exploit our communications, therefore we would, we would build code and, and process and so on. The new concept that's been introduced, particularly with networks, is that you can interfere with communications, destroy communications, change communications, even go into a computer system and degrade it or the things it controls, like critical infrastructure. So that's, that's why I put it in these four dimensions. Most people say um, uh, computer attack when they mean exploitation. Most of these malware uh, uh, activities will be a criminal taking something, not changing it, just taking something right. of value. So I, I just like to discriminate between so, to communicate, to, to exploit, to defend, or to degrade right. or destroy. And then if you look at what's going on with the nation states, they are trying to do one of those four things usually in that that's that that kind of represents the kind of categories of battles that and are going there's, on. There are five members of the five permanent members of the, of the United Nations Security Council. Uh, France, UK, and and the U.S. promote the internet for exchange of ideas, free flow of information, uh, commercial services, commercial services, accelerating business, and so on. The other two permanent members, uh, China and Russia, have a different point of view. They want to control the information that their citizens get. They don't want them to have access to the internet, to free flow of information. Great Wall of China is probably the best example of that. They also have passed laws that says that that basically say that any time a company has information or information passes through China or Russia, then the, the Russian or Chinese government has access to that information. So uh, it's just very different philosophies that have to be addressed if we're going to have a global system of the full power and capability of the, of the Internet for exchange of information. Now, you know, you mentioned that earlier that financial services is, is one of the areas that's most mature um, uh, because they've had to be. Uh, because they, to be. And, to be. and so what do you think the rest of uh, the, uh, the, the world, the other industries, other sectors can learn from what financial services have done well? Uh, uh, they won't, uh, by and large. Usually it's pain. Because to invest in cybersecurity, people think of it as not an advantage or more efficiency. It's adding burden or weight or so on. I, I particularly like the way um, Ken Z is thinking about this in the future. It's, it's making it a part of the fabric of the infrastructure so it's empowering or enabling. So build it in at the beginning. When, when communications first started or the Internet was thought about or created, there was no consideration of, of security. It has to be built in. So... Banks were forced to go there because criminals were uh, attacking the ones and zeros to extract value. Other uh, critical infrastructures are gradually going there. 
And usually it's a result of some gigantic exposure. I'd use Target 2015 as my example. One third of the people in the United States had accounts compromised, uh, uh, email address, a credit card number, uh, and so on. And, and that was a huge impact, uh, 100 million people. Now you think about what happened to Target, um, CEO, CEO was fired, some of the board members were replaced. So it was a big thing. Well, that caught the attention of a lot of uh, large businesses. Well, wait a minute, what, what, how, could that happen to us? The answer is yes. And then the question is, what do we do about it? And, and so it, gradually we're getting there. It would be, I would be more pleased if there was uh, some leadership or forcing function that causes us to go there more briskly. Well, you said that one of the great things about the financial services industry is how they have such tremendous information sharing about security practices. Yeah, they were forced to. Uh, they, they were, uh, the White House and the Clinton administration set up the idea of called ISACs. ISAC stands for Information Sharing and Analysis Center. Basically, uh, we have to collaborate to graduate here. Let's share the information and, and make us uh, more resilient. And so of the various ISACs, I think there are 17, 18, 19 of them, whatever the number is, uh, the, the one that started that became the most mature, the most robust, and the best is financial sector. Again, they were forced to do that. And so they exchange information. They all, the, the corporate information security officers know each other. They talk and collaborate. Uh, slowly over time, bank CEOs have come to understand they have to do this. I personally visited with CEOs of the major banks and they, this is as, as late as 2008. Uh, president, I told the president about this. He sent me, he said, well, you gotta go talk to these guys. I did. Th their response was, thank you for your interest in national security, have a nice day. Their attitude's a little different today because th what I told them was coming, in fact, happened. Uh, Russian criminals, East German criminals uh, took major sums of money and they said, whoa. And they started to spend um, significant amounts on cybersecurity. Bank of America was attacked by Iran for political reasons. Uh, uh, J.P. Morgan was attacked by criminal elements. So, and any virtually all banks have been attacked at some level. Now, one of the things that you also said in your contribution to uh, that we need to make this uh, work is the the role of open and agreed upon standards. Mm -hmm. And so, why is it so important that we we have standards operating in the cybersecurity realm? Well, it's like standards in anything else. Uh, you think about the metric system for, you know, if you're a mechanic in any level, you, uh, an agreed standard means your, your tools work. Uh, you think about electrical appliances, you know, way back when, uh, uh, they were made, manufactured, people got hurt, created the under, underwriter's laboratory to certify they met certain standards. So standards across um, any segment of industry or, or capability need to be established so that, uh, uh, you, you have some commonality that people can depend on. Now, standards evolve, uh, but some process to establish standards. Now, the, there are uh, internet uh, protocol standards, and there's some fairly robust capability in, in getting there so that uh, uh, the protocols work. You can move information from one side of the globe to the other at the speed of light. Building in cybersecurity, agreeing upon cybersecurity standards is, uh, is essential to make the, the, cap the the network more robust. Now, uh, when, I, when the Obama administration proposed that the National Institute of Standards and Technology create a set of standards, the most adamant group against that 
process was the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And so I couldn't understand that. I went down and I said, why, why are you opposed to this? They said, slippery slope. I said, what do you mean? You create a standard, that means it will lead to regulation. I said, I can't quite get there. Why, what do you, well, she said, well, if you create a standard, then there's going to be a breach, and then there's going to be a civil suit, and then the question will going to be, is this large corporation follow the NIST recommended standard? And de facto, it becomes the standard. that It, it, it piles more regulation on the, the uh, businesses of the United States. So there's always push and pull against agreed standards or not, and everybody represents their own point of view. I'm s suggesting that this security fabric for the global Internet is so important, we need a way to get to agreed upon standards. And most people will agree that standards in things like the metric system or even our own uh, uh, metrics based on inches for tools or uh, uh, the safety of electrical equipment or whatever, those are good things, um, but it was painful to get there. So my last question is about um, the, the basic premise of Phil's book. And in the book, he essentially argues that the world that we live in now many of the problems we have happened because security wasn't incorporated in the original design of the internet. The original design of the internet was about speed and connectivity. And then the, um, you know, that enabled collaboration. And then as time went on, there, it became more and more open and, and, and more and more cybersecurity problems rose up. And we've had uh, some things that have developed that have really helped us with cryptography and authentication and other things. And then we have fundamental problems that will never go away, like human frailty and, 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 and things like that. But what he's fundamentally arguing is that we can take a more scientific approach towards solving these problems. And uh, I'm assuming you agree. Uh, how, would we get, how can we get there? How can we get to that more scientific uh, approach so that we you know, don't leave our keys in the car and the doors unlocked. And, you know, we're, we're much more protected and we're, we're making really good decisions about, you know, technology and, and, and policy. Uh, I think it takes leadership. Uh, when I first went to the Congress and the Senate to present this as an issue they needed to think about, the average age of the U.S. Senate was over 70. And I said, we need to talk about cybersecurity. And the answer was, Cybersecurity, does that have something to do with computers? I, I, I don't do computers. You have to talk to my grandchildren. I, I do yellow tablets. The point I'm trying to make is, is digital natives understanding. Getting someone at the most senior level, the President of the United States, the Vice President, uh, Secretary of Defense, who, whoever it might be that takes the stand that we have to go down this path uh, for uh, better standards and more security and so on, to make the case in a compelling way. Uh, otherwise, we get there through trial and error and catastrophe. I mean, you know, we, we don't proact in the United States, we react. Once in a while, we always react as opposed to proact. Once in a while, with the right kind of leadership, we can proact. And so I agree with, with Phil's uh, principles in his book, uh, comparing it to the Big Bang, and basically we had physics and chemistry, and people studied that, but think of how long it took. We studied the fundamentals of, of physics, determining what gravity is, you know, all those things. It took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Phil's trying to make the case that uh, we need uh, 
the fundamentals of security built in this global fabric, um, which operates the speed of light on a global basis. And it's essential that we get this right. Uh, it is not easy, and, and there is no one taking leadership at a most senior enough level with the right kind of influence to lead us in a more gentle path. My worry about this is uh, it'll be a lot of trial and error and, and mistakes. The capabilities are being developed. Uh, it, it, is, it, is a, it is possible to solve this problem. We can solve it in the United States. We can solve it among allies. Solving it globally with potential enemies or frenemies is going to be the challenge. Well, good. Well, thank you so much for thank joining you. me today. All right. My pleasure.